We know that building and running a company is hard work and that its success requires great leadership. Because we believe people can achieve incredible things, we want to shine a light on those people who are improving their organizations. Join us as Core Talent's Laura King invites presidents, CEOs, and executives to share their stories on how they have transformed their business and implemented unique strategies to ensure its success. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Here's your host, Laura King. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Here I am with Pete Carlson of Inside Edge. Welcome to the show, Pete. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate you coming in and the opportunity to tell our story. So I want to give our listeners a little bit of background on Inside Edge. So we're so lucky to work with companies that, quite honestly, many people here in the Twin Cities have never never heard of before. So we've got a gem of a company. Uh, I want to give a couple highlights from... Uh, from inception to to where they are today. Uh, so back in, was it, was it 2007, company came into existence. The uh, Inside Edge became one of Minnesota's fastest growing private companies. Moved into 2012, Inside Edge was named top 10 commercial flooring contractors in the United States. In 2014, Inside Edge becomes a 100% employee-owned company through the creation of an ESOP. And 2016, the Inside Edge founder, David Moeller. Moeller, he transitioned leadership to you. Three years ago this month. Yeah. yeah. So we are excited to hear the, the journey that Inside Edge and you've been on personally uh, leading business transformation. Well, again, I appreciate the opportunity for us to tell our story here. Uh, just to round out the context on Inside Edge, we're a professional services firm uh, that focuses on cradle-to-grave program management for commercial flooring. Uh, we branched out into different markets and segments recently, but uh, David started this company around uh, the, uh, the retail segment, overnight remodels. And an overnight remodel is going into that facility and redoing the flooring and the finishes without disrupting uh, consumer flow, traffic flow, retail sales. I was reading a couple of different case studies on your website uh, last night. So, I mean, this all happens sometimes in, in a night or two. Absolutely. Um, we have projects that might last nine months in large uh, commercial uh, uh, retrofits or refurbishes, remodels. Uh, we have others. Uh, we had a case study recently with a, a large um, corporate client that wanted to transform a small portion of their store for, a, uh, for the holiday season, and we did um, 500 stores in six days. Now, we didn't do complete stores. We did, we did small scale, but to take that on uh, is a massive task and a, a real challenge from a logistics planning and execution standpoint. And it's something that uh, we were able to do and do very well, uh, meet the customer's needs and, and that uh, subsequently met their customer's needs. So give us uh, 
the context of how you arrived at where you are today. So what what's your your background, Pete? Well, my background's not in flooring, so I'm a little bit of no? a... No, I'm the fish out of water here. But and, and again, we'll probably get to that when we talk about leadership and uh, transforming companies. But uh, I cut my teeth in the technology sector. Worked for a company called Hutchinson Technology for 23 years. And that it was out in Hutchinson. And it's another one of those Minnesota companies that you alluded to. Um, that's out in the, uh, in the in the egg community more than the urban area, but we were we were the worldwide leader in what we did, and we supported uh, primary accounts like IBM and, and disk drive accounts and uh, the technology leaders at that time. And it, it, as you know, technology moves very quickly, so we did components for hard drives for printers for the government, uh, uh, for defense systems and things like that. And uh, so I cut my teeth there. And in, in that case, we had a significant, uh, the significant bandwidth to invest heavily in employee development, in best practice, in working with the best consultants in the country um, on product development, on, on growth strategies, on transformation. And uh, as well as marketing and product development, I left that. I left the company back in 2010, when things slowed down there, and started to consult. And then, in the, and in that time period, with my consulting, I worked for two privately held companies. Um, one was a small distributor of uh, fluid products, and the other was a larger distributor in the Minneapolis area, where I ran their custom brands division and worked with with the category leaders in. Uh, in lubrication products and that. So a fairly diverse background, but not a, not a flooring background. <laughs> so, so bring us to the present. What, uh, what does a snapshot of a, a kind of day in the life look like for you today? Not being a flooring guy, the reason I'm here is because the company um, had a terrific business model, but the growth had stalled. And retail is a very finicky, dynamic environment, as you can uh, imagine with all what you read these days about store closings. Mm-hmm and consolidation with online, um, the advancement of Amazon and other online competitors. Um, we have been very fortunate in that our primary accounts have adopted that multi-dimensional model, multi-channel model fairly early. So they're doing very well both online and with their brick and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. So that's been good that we've, we've been uh, had our horse or wagon tied to the right horses there, right? Um, but, but overall, uh, retail hasn't grown at, at a dynamic rate, and so we need to uh, differentiate ourselves and, and our, product, or our products and services. And so we've been focused on um, moving into new markets, and new markets uh, require new skill sets and new competencies and uh, maybe a different level of commitment and momentum. So that's what we've been focused on the last three years. Mm-hmm. And many businesses this side, you know, we're, we're still south of 100 million, but, but small businesses, mid-market uh, businesses all run into this where their primary uh, core uh, slows down and they try to maximize what they can do with the core, but then they need to look for adjacencies outside that core. And that's what we're doing right now. How about uh, <clears throat> in terms of the the culture? You know, when you walked in here, were there there things that you thought, "Gosh, this is something that we don't want to touch," or there there are things that you saw right away that 
you could add some add value. Well, like like uh, most executives, uh, if they didn't want to touch it, they wouldn't be here, right? But um, no, it was a, it was a, we've got great people. It was a good culture, um, but it was like most fast-growing entrepreneurial firms uh, that have a successful value proposition and grow very quickly. They they do not see the need or commit to the infrastructure to support that. And, and when I talk about infrastructure like that, I'm talking about human resource capabilities, talent development, um, just building a budget for education in general, uh, planning processes and systems, um, quality management, safety systems, even simple things like um, evacuation during uh, you know, a, a weather event or things like that. You deal with it as it comes up, but you're not planful in getting ahead of it and that. So it wasn't any different here. Um, a great business model, uh, good people. Uh, we just had to build infrastructure and process. So, so from a culture, back to your question, the biggest challenge with culture then is you have us, uh, you know, and again, it's just so we all define culture the same way because many of us do it differently, but it's what you're actually doing today. Not necessarily what you're supposed to, right? Right. So, you know, what was done every day was to serve the customer and get through the day and make sure the customer was whole and satisfied. And then any other initiatives above and beyond that, if there wasn't time to get to them, we, we probably wouldn't have allocated time, right? So when I came in, those are some of the things that I saw. Nothing was broke. We just had to enhance it. And that's what transformation is. Mm -hmm. That's why transformation is so hard, though. You know, turnarounds... As difficult as they are, because now you have market conditions and you've got working capital challenges and things like that, um, those are difficult, but the choices are fairly straightforward. You know, you've got to lean out here, you've got to do this different. There, it's not a debate. It's we've got to do it, and we've got to do it quick, and we've got to do it well. Transformation is more of a, I think, a cultural change challenge is because things aren't broke. And so why do we have to change? Why do we have to maybe run a little faster, jump a little higher, or do things different than how I've been doing it? Mm -hmm. And um, that, takes, that takes a very focused approach to change management. Well, I find it really interesting, um, just having the recruiting background um, that, that we have, is that many times when I've worked with small companies and it's a, it's a key hire, they expect that transformation to come from that person. And that's a lot of weight on a person. What kind of advice would you give, right? You know, it's not one person's job. No, absolutely not. Um, and it's, you know, you're not successful. As a, as a leader in an organization, whether you're the CEO, the president, your chief operating officer, your divisional leader, um, at the end of the day, this, your success is going to be based on your team's success. And that there's just too much to do and too much heavy lifting that it can't all ride on your shoulders, right? Uh, there's, there's pros and cons to new people coming in. You know, if you can develop internally and you can develop the right leader and with the right vision for the transformation, that's probably the, the highest likelihood of success mm -hmm. because there's relationships built, there's credibility, there's, a, as our HR leader would say, the bucket's full of goodwill that you can kind of tap into. With someone new that comes in, though, there's no legacy. Uh, that individual doesn't know anybody anything. You know they're here to they're here to for one reason one reason only and that is to help everyone be successful and being successful is the company's going to be successful and they're going to grow personally and professionally. 
So how do how do you think people viewed you when you came into the organization? I was I was an outsider, but um, I I have had probably one of the most fortuitous entry points. And again, I did small business consulting with a number of smaller companies that were doing exit planning, and mm-hmm. were trying to take that next step. Right where the founders were leaving, uh, this founder. Um, without getting into how we were connected and how he actually moved away from consulting and came here, um, he he fully committed to me coming in. He explained that to the uh, the employee owners. We call them employee owners, by the way, because we're an ESOP. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and uh, and we're 100% ESOP, so 100% employee owned. But he was fully committed to my coming in and communicated that. And then he allowed me to to work with the leadership team and manage the organization, and uh, and we actually had an arrangement where he was in here for a period of time before he finally just said, you know, I don't I don't need to be here, and I was comfortable with that. A lot of uh, leaders would not want the founder around, and would want to have more um, more control or not you know, that environment, but it's, it was very uh, healthy. In fact, he was back in here today when you came in meeting, okay. meeting with my new sales leader. Okay. And okay. I am, and that is great. I am perfectly fine with that because again, we're trying to do the right thing for everybody. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta lower your ego and you gotta do the right things and let, let the people that can influence and move it in the right direction do what they do best. Right. Right. And he comes with a lot of, a lot of legacy. So, you know, legacy information that you, could, you couldn't impart to that new Well, and I'm not a construction guy, right, or a flooring guy. So you don't, you don't want to run from that. You want to embrace it. it. But you want to have a working relationship that doesn't undermine the, the things that we're trying to do that weren't done before. So I want to transition in, in, in preparation for us, you know, coming together today. Pete, you, you shared uh, your four pillars of growth with me. And I think our listeners would love to hear just your, your personal philosophy and how you've even come to implement. First, how did, how did you come up with this? And then second of all, how do you even begin to implement it? Well, and again, I've, I've been very fortunate over my career. Uh, when I was at Hutchinson, um, I not only ran the, the sales organization, but I ran our Asian operations. And in doing so, you... You, you work with a lot of um, very capable people in technology sector. And so I had a chance to understand what good looked like in a lot of cases, whether it was organizational development, structure, um, sales strategies, marketing strategies, human resource strategies and that. The challenge, um, so then you build this, this playbook of, of several, and I'll give you an example. When I was going through change management my change management folder, I had seven different processes that I, you know, come across over time. The challenge when you come into a smaller company is you've got to simplify all that. And you've got to pick one and you've got to simplify that. And then you just need to do it really, really well. And, and where I've been successful is where I've done that. And where, where I haven't been successful is when I've forgotten that. And so there's been, there's been initiatives here I've tried to implement that just haven't stuck because I try to do too much too quickly mm-hmm. with too, I don't want to say sophisticated because our people are, are good professionals, uh, but if they haven't seen anything like it in the past, 
You've got to start with something that they can get their arms around and embrace and that. So back to your question about the four pillars, that was really me stepping back uh, about five years ago, uh, probably six years ago and saying, really what I need to do when I'm working with small business owners is just create a very simplified playbook. So these are business owners that want to walk away from the business and they think their business is worth X. People are telling them it's only worth Y. And they're wondering, why is that? And it's because you're worth the majority of the value of the company. If you step away, you haven't built the infrastructure. You don't have a planning process. You don't have this. You don't have successors. You don't have depth, right? So all the things that, that demonstrate that you can sustain value with that business when the owner or operator steps away were important. So, so that kind of got me to the point where I was building this playbook out. And then it was most of the customers I were talking about where they weren't leaving, we're in the stalled mode. So if you're stalled, what are the principles to get you moving forward? And that's where I came up with the four pillars. And this, this isn't anything I, I steal uh, shamelessly. There's no <laughs> new, there's no, no new ideas. I no. do too. Yeah. It's just repackaging. Same. It's repackaging what I think mm -hmm. works. But uh, what she's talking about fundamentally is what, what I call the temple around here because that's what it looks like. But it's a, it's a foundation of values. It's four pillars that are really the strategic capabilities and initiatives. And then there's a roof, which is really the ending vision of where you're trying to get to. And you build this when you're doing a transformation, you start from scratch. So the first thing we did is we put our values in place. We had previous values, but they weren't defined barely clearly. And it was a great process for me to go through with the rest of the company to find out how everybody really felt about things. And you create these values and, there, and then from there, you, everything you do, you do with those values in hand. You hire with those, you promote, you terminate people if they can't meet those values. And, it, and there's a lot, of, a lot of terminology for that today. It's the right people, right seat type things. Um, but you build that out, and then it's, to get to the four pillars end, there were really four fundamental things that I felt were important for growing, growing a company. And when I talk about growing a company, it's just not profitability, it's just not revenue, it's just not market base, it's your people. Because again, at the end of the day, when, when I leave this organization, I want people to look in the mirror and say, you know what, over the last five years, I've not only has the company grown where I've had new opportunities to grow professionally, but I've grown personally. I know how to have crucial conversations with people. I know how to de-escalate issues. I know how to, how, how to walk over and give people recognition now. And it's, it, that all seems simple. It sure does. But, but it's not. Yes, it, as my daughter would say, simple but not easy. So, um, so these four pillars are fundamentally starts with customers. Um, you know, you're going to have your overall vision strategy. And once you define what you want to be, whether it's five years, 10 years, you've got to define those markets, those customers and those specific needs, and you can start to build your strategy out. But if you're not fully committed to customer and customer care and customer centric or whatever other buzzwords there are out there, you'll lose sight of that and you'll build structures and capabilities that move people away from the customer and you'll lose touch. And so the customer is the number one piece of that. And once you define that, now you have to have the capabilities to grow. So if you don't have a planning system where you set goals and you work towards goals, it's really hard to hit those goals. Mm. You know, hope is not a strategy, right? So you've got you've to have a planning system that's defined. 
and it needs to be strategic and it needs to cascade down. So you start with a long range plan, you have a one year plan, you have your quarterly targets. And, and we're actually, you know, I'll, I'll probably mention this once or twice more, uh, the entrepreneur, Entrepreneurial Operating System, or EOS, or what most people call traction, is a great example of that, of just simplifying that whole operating process, that playbook. Now, do you operate in that? We've been using a hybrid of it, but okay. we're going to move probably to its purest form because the hybrid um, creates some challenges sure. where the execution isn't crisp. So I'm kind of putting my hands up and letting the team say Well, our market here is a hotbed for EOS, so. It absolutely is. We've got, we got plenty of implementers that we yeah, know. We've, we've got a lot of great case studies, and, and it's for anybody that's looking at adopting an operating system, um, that, is, that would be the first place to look if you're a smaller organization. So you've got these growth capabilities then, so it's, it's defining winning strategies. It's having, let's say, a sales engine a sales process and, and lead generation mechanisms and then managing whatever you're using for a CRM or whatever and putting those capabilities in place so you can sustain growth. Um, and then there's the innovation piece. And that was the one thing that, that I noticed when I got here is our people were terrific problem solvers at making sure we got it right for the customer. We weren't always the best at getting the root cause and putting permanent solutions in place. So we, you know, and, and every small company I've worked with runs into the same thing, is they, they're very good at reacting, but they're not proactive. And so fundamentally, that's what we're trying to do with these four pillars, is we're trying to turn a reactive organization, which has been very successful, into a proactive organization. And if you can be proactive and you still have that sense of urgency and the capability to be reactive, you have a very, very robust competitive model. Are you talking more like how you surprise and delight your customers before there's a issue? It could be, absolutely. But it's, it's all starts of being planful. Yeah. So let's plan for success um, and be thoughtful about how we do that. And then let's, let's always take, a chance, take the time to step back, take a deep breath, and look around the corner and see what could be coming. So what's an example of something here, if maybe on the totem pole of innovative, you know, a zero out of 10, they're, they're, you know, the organization was certainly not at a 10, what sort of things have you implemented that have moved the needle? Well, we didn't have a planning system when it came in. We had a budgeting process. Okay. But we now have a long range cascading planning system down that everybody understands what the, what the goals are each quarter and why we're working towards those goals and how those ultimately get us to where we want to get to at the end of the year. That's a very simple thing, but it's not easy to implement. Mm -hmm. and, and the accountability that goes along with that. Um, that's, one, that's one thing. Um, the fact that we've got the pillars, that we've got the values in place was, was an important starting point too. Um, let me give you a different example though from a, from a previous um, experience of the mindset change here. So I was at a company where um, someone had to get up at five in the morning and run product up to a key customer on a, or on a Saturday morning and was kind of labeled a hero because that individual did an extraordinary effort. Okay, so we applaud that because he took care of the customer. But what happened was that whole process broke down the Monday before when the order was placed. Okay, so there was two ways to look at that. There was to thank the individual for making it right for the customer, but there was also stepping back and looking at what broke down and how did we get ourselves to that point where we have to be heroes every day, 
versus just doing it right. And then there's the person that, that said, you know what, we absolutely have to fix that. But can I suggest that we actually go further back and we look at how our whole ordering system is working so this thing can't even happen, couldn't even happen again? That's the proactive mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good example. Because when I, when I think of innovate, I think of a, you know, an innovative product or an innovative culture, but you're talking about some very basic things. What I'm really talking about is continuous improvement. Okay. So that's the fundamental piece. We call it innovate, but uh, it is continuous improvement. So everybody owns some portion of what we deliver for services or products to the end customer. So they're, they're part of that value stream in some fact. And if everybody owns that and everybody took a step back periodically and said, how well do I do this? Um, is there a way to lean this out, make it more efficient? What else could I do to add more value to the customer? If they, if they continually ask those questions and they come up with some ideas and we enable them and empower them to implement those ideas, or even better yet, we put teams together that can take that idea and morph it into something that's much greater than what the one individual came up with. Um, we're just moving that company along. you know. And it goes back to the concept of EOS again when we talk about rocks. Rocks are... We have yearly goals, but rocks are quarterly goals, right? Mm -hmm. So we have 85 employees internally here uh, and another 30, um, we have roughly about 120 employees, let's say right now. Um, Let's say if we had 80 that had accountability rocks, if everybody just did one per quarter to advance whatever they do that adds value to the customer, that's 320 continuous improvement initiatives in a year. That's huge. That, Absolutely. That really moves the needle. And not only that, you know, if you look, if you think at this at a 60,000 foot level, every time you move, you know, let's say you're standing in the forest, you know, if you're just incrementally moving a few feet a year, everything looks pretty much the same. If you move 100 feet though, you have a completely different view. And if you move your company that much every year with these little initiatives, all of a sudden there's opportunities you couldn't see before. All of a sudden there are, are opportunities, not both, both externally and internally, that you never saw before. So a couple of groups do some things in the warehouse, they do some things from inventory management, and all of a sudden, wow, we could do this where we never even thought that was mm. possible. So that's what's happening today. We're starting to see pieces of that, you know, but we're we're uh, we're a long ways away. I was say, are you the, are you still in the infancy stages of the implementation? We, we uh, my leadership team would say <laughs> that we'll probably always feel that way because Pete is always raising the bar. But <laughs> but you know, it's a journey. It's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah, um, and again, we we want we want to educate, empower, and enable our employees to grow into these roles and learn. In that, and you're going to have some that fully embrace it and run with it. And we have many change agents around here that are just want to do new things and change things. And we have others that are very comfortable in what they're doing right now, but they do a very good job at that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to balance that too. So, how, how does the leadership? team today differ than when you arrived three years ago? 
We have, uh, we obviously have different members um, that have, have uh, moved into different roles or have left the company, but it was, it was when I came in, I made a commitment to the, the board and the founder that uh, um, I would take two years to assess the team unless I needed to make immediate changes. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't put the com company at risk, but, but this goes back, and again, um, this just goes back to um, taking time and making an investment in employee development. So, you know, we had, a very, uh, we had a very small group of employees that had been exposed to supervisory or managerial training. We've expanded that now. You know, so it, I think it's important. And again, that's the beauty of a transformation. Uh, the founder had built a terrific company with a good culture and with good people. And we're just, we're building the infrastructure now to take it from X million to 200 million. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be, have to look different and it's gonna have to have different capabilities. So how do you get there? And so, you know, you, you need to do that with the right leadership team, the right competency and skill set. And so over the last couple of years, I've, I've, we've moved some people around, some people about the company, and we have a couple of new people in the organization yes. now. Yes, yes. And I, I, feel, uh, I feel really good about um, where we're at right now, uh, especially from an internal communication and dynamics, mm -hmm. because that's really key. If you, can't, if you don't have trust and you can't express what you think in a, in a, uh, in a safe environment, it's really hard to build momentum with the leadership team. And we're getting there. I'm really pleased with that. And I think you mentioned uh, the word crucial conversations. I like that. Um, and I, I only wish more companies would have the environment that, that you know, people have the guts to have those courageous conversations or crucial conversations. How have you facilitated that? I, th you know, it's what we really focus on, and we've got a terrific HR leader now that that helps uh, with that. Um, is you just need to step back and you need to look at what you're trying to do. You're trying to do the best thing for the company, and you're also trying to do the best thing for that individual. You know, and once you get an in a person to that point, or a manager, a supervisor, or a coworker that is having maybe difficulty getting the collaboration from a, another coworker. Is is to is to address it, understand that why it's so important, and you can't kick the can down the road because it just creates more issues. It takes more non-value at a time, right? The key then is once they buy into that is is to help help them how they do that. You know, an extrovert might handle it one way, an introvert's going to handle it a different way. But how can they do that in a way? that is non-threatening, mm -hmm. that is for everybody's best interest. And then you work with those that are getting that kind of feedback on, on why it's important to accept it. And just take a deep breath and reflect. And, and you know, we're, we're, uh, we're a very compassionate company. That's what's, that's what's really been interesting to me. As, as compassionate a company as we are, how hard it is sometimes to have those conversations. Sure, because, sure. Because People if you're truly, if you're, the they don't, but if you really care about somebody, you'll have it, right? You, you have know, to have the as conversation. A, as a parent, you and I both know, you know, at some point in time, you have to have that. And it's just not one conversation. It's probably multiple over time to reinforce the message, but it's not a hammer. You know, it's, again, it's a, it's a, straightforward, factual, conversational, why this is 
why we're having the conversation or why mm-hmm. it's best for them, why it's best for us. And, and um, I, think, I think we're seeing people respond to that really well and people taking ownership and wanting to be, everybody wants the company to succeed. It's a matter of level of commitment and how much effort you're going to put into that. So what is the vision for Inside Edge? Well, we, we were expanding our markets. We, uh, you know, we want to actually, uh, let me step back. We're, we're 100% ESOP. Mm-hmm. And my vision by the time I leave, which is, you know, in five or six years or where, whenever the board determines, you know, I've run, run the course, um, that we have a sustainable ESOP. Okay, and that means that we've got, we've got good markets, we've got good market position. We've got a, 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 a good balance scorecard of metrics. We've got a nice balance sheet. Um, we're opportunistic. We've got the right skill sets when we are opportunistic to execute on those. So it's really, it's just really building out a competitive team and having the capability to be a little bit flexible. And again, cash is king. So building a business model that we're not worried about working capital day in and day out, having the right partners when we want to do investing or we want to do acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So, but again, you know, the final vision for me, um, I am assuming that we're going to build that model. For me, it's more about the people and being able to look in the mirror, like I said earlier, and say, you know what, I've, I have an opportunity that I never thought I'd have professionally. I have skills personally that I use every day outside this office that I wouldn't have had because I've been exposed to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm creating wealth for myself and my family through the ESOP, and I'll have a standard of living that I never would have had if I had just worked for someone else. How many employees are you at right now? We're at about 120. 120. And I, I might be a little biased. I, I do enjoy working with, uh, with smaller organizations because you you get this sort of buy-in from employees that you don't always see inside large organizations. It's uh, you get more of a team environment, mm-hmm. and um, and this is a, this is a nice size organization, and uh, it's really hard to transform larger organizations when you're trying to do fundamental changes too, because you've got department. Um, integration, you've got silos, you've got other things. And it's not that we, we didn't have those, but we're able to work through those. And again, I, I applaud the founder and, and uh, you know, the previous leadership here and that they've, we've got good people. And now that we've, you know, now that we've uh, firmed up our values, we know what we're looking for. And back to the culture thing, you know, as I mentioned earlier, culture is what you're doing today, but I do espouse to a little different culture going forward, more innovation. You know, more uh, more entrepreneurial mindset, things like that, and that's what we're hiring for. So we hire people with those mm-hmm. capabilities and upward mobility too. We just don't want to fill a seat. We want to yeah. make sure we've got people that are are driven, maybe to do a little more, wear multiple hats. And in small organizations, you need to do that as much as you'd like to have SMEs and you know specific capabilities. You still need that, but but we. Uh, we do a lot of cross training. Cross training. Cross training. Cross training. Any any other words of wisdom before we move into our lightning round? Well, I, I don't know if any of this has been wisdom. It's just um, you know we all have the same challenges, and um, 
like I was telling my leadership team yesterday, I'm probably right half the time, right? So having a strong team around you that's collaborative and will challenge the thinking, uh, but also will be a team and walk out of the room and everybody's aligned. Um, you know, the, probably the, 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 the one takeaway I've had that I've, that I've shared with the leadership team, if I did anything over, I would have been much more disciplined with the change management process because I, I probably took for granted that certain things would resonate with people and it would be kind of an aha, of course. Why, why haven't we been doing it? We should do it, let's do it. Um, it it's harder to sustain things unless you ha are really working through a process. So not only, not only sharing the vision and ensuring you have consensus, but then spending the time to build the competencies and skills so they can do it. Um, providing the resources to be able to do that and um, and then following up. Otherwise, you're going to get pushed back. You're going to get people dragging their feet. You're going to get people that just don't fundamentally understand. Um, and we should have been better at that. And, and again, it's not that we've had people that don't want to do it. It's just they haven't seen it before. Mm -hmm. And they're busy. We're, uh, we're a very transactional company with what we do. We do over 6,000 projects a year. You know, so in some cases we're doing 250 projects a week. And so to keep these high level strategic initiatives up in the air when you're busy like that is really hard. So those balls would fall to the ground and they could never get them back up. And that's, that's what I've been trying to do. So um, in leaving with that, you know, use a change management process to try to keep those balls in the air when things get busy. Because if, if you lose momentum on that flywheel and it stops, it's so yeah, it's so you hard to get just it going go back again. into the the routine that you're used to. Right? I was always given the advice that, you know, you pick in the morning your most difficult task and you tackle that first. Right. Don't leave it to the end. Yeah. It, it's it's <laughs> some of you are better than uh, than the rest of us at that, but it it goes back to the the rocks and and where that all originated from is if you have rocks and gravel and sand and water. What do, you, what do you put in that jar first? Mm -hmm. You gotta put the rocks in first, right? Or you won't get everything all set. And it's, uh, it's, it's good discipline management. Easier, again, easier said than done when you've got a lot of transactional activities and you're focused on serving the customer. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, you'd never wanna undermine that. All right, now we're gonna go uh, to, our, to our lovely lightning round where we get a little insight into uh, different areas of Pete Carlson. Pete, what's a book that you've read in the last five years that you most recommend to others? Well, I, I had I was thinking of one, but you know, I mentioned traction earlier. Mm -hmm. I would I would recommend to anyone out there that is kind of struggling with their planning systems or execution or getting people to get things done on time to read traction. I'm not necessarily saying you have to adopt EOS. But it's so straightforward and pragmatic that there are things in there, there's nuggets in there that you'll walk away with and go, yeah, I can do that. Um, as far as another book, though, The Founder's Mentality, and this is by Chris Sook from Bain, and I followed his stuff for years. I was a, he wrote Profit from the Core and other books, um, and, and that was really based around do what you do best and then build adjacencies out around that. Don't get too far out and try to hit a home run when there's a less than 5% chance of success, you know, build your core out. And, and uh, I've been a big fan of his. And he wrote this book called The Founder's Mentality about why companies stall out. 
And I actually read this book a year before the founder of this company approached me about this role. And I kind of chuckled because that's exactly what had happened. He was a fabulous entrepreneur, driven, uh, had a sense of urgency, was cost-focused, and was very customer-centric. And what happens when you build a successful business and people get complacent, and the business just comes back year after year, you're earning it every year, but you know you're going to get it back. You become complacent and you kind of lose sight of that. And so we've been trying to build those three principles back into our, our business. Sense of urgency, cost focus, and customer-centric. And those all came from founders, founders mentality. mentality. Okay, yeah. founders mentality added to your Audible list. How about uh, what is your favorite app? Um, I right there, I'd probably have to choose WhatsApp, and um, I'm not, I'm not a large user of it. But uh, we have we have our four daughters spread across uh, North America, and uh, for a time they were over in the Pacific Rim and in Asia, and uh, did not have cell phone. Um, so whether they were they were actually in Europe too. So. Uh, if they had Wi-Fi in some form, WhatsApp was our way of connecting. Your way of connecting. Love yep. it. And we can do the, uh, and they can do up to four connections at once now. Oh, we love technology. What, uh, what's a fun fact people would never guess about you? Well, I, I don't do it much anymore, but I used to be an avid hunter, bow hunter, okay. and, and trapper. So I, I don't look like I can't that. say that we have that in common. Yeah. So, um, and my wife did that with me. Oh, wow. Yeah, in our early years of marriage. So um, I have a lot of hunting stories to tell whoever wants to listen. And what, uh, what time do you get up in the morning? Usually about 5.30. Okay. Yeah. Early riser. If someone wants to learn more about Inside Edge um, or connect with you, how would you recommend they do that? Well, I, I would uh, go into the website and look at, uh, it's IECIS.com. And we'll include that in the show notes. Yep, and uh, go in there and just do a contact us, and you can get into a, a, a number, and then they'll direct you to myself. And, I, and for anybody who listens to this, I'd be more than willing to connect with you personally and, and share any insights. And frankly, I, I can probably learn as much from you, if not from more, once we start a dialogue. So I, uh, you know, in leaving, I'd say that's maybe the last thing. We have a little, uh, we have monitors where we have pictures of our employees with sayings that they believe in. And uh, my picture up there right now is from high school. And, and I think my quote there is, just when I thought I knew everything, I realized I knew nothing. And I became a lifelong learner. And I would just encourage everybody to, regardless of where you're at in your career, to try to learn new things and bring those back to your organizations. Well, I think that's served you very well in yours. Um, really appreciate your time. And listeners, thank you so much for your outpouring of, of um, you know, questions and thoughts as we continue to bring stories like this to the market. I think it's really interesting to share um, stories like the Inside Edge and what, what Pete has, uh, has personally been through. And I mean, just an example of a, a humble servant leader that is, uh, is certainly helping transform this, uh, this business. So Pete, thanks again for being here and uh, we'll see everyone uh, in a week or two. Thank you, Laura. Bye now. Thanks for joining us on Core Talent Connects. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
please leave us a review on your podcast app and share this episode with a friend or colleague. Hi, I'm Laura King from Core Talent. I'd like to invite you to visit coretalent.com to learn more about how Core Talent accelerates business growth through people. That's C-O-R-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. And if you're interested in having me speak on a panel or at your next event about the evolution of recruiting, modern workplace culture, retention, or employee engagement, please drop me a note at lking@coretalent.com or ping me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.